and welcome to Project 99, episode 3. Uh, yeah, what's up? <laughs> this is Juke, and uh, Mix over here speaking some kind of funky jazz. <laughs> <laughs> that funky jazz be Russian. I just figured I'd lay that out there since we're going to be talking a lot about Russia, Ukraine, and all things uh, impeachment today. Um, so, I guess we'll just get started off with... Um, I wanted to give some kind of background. Everybody's probably pretty much at least been watching the news um, to get the highlights of the impeachment hearings. And depending on what channel you're watching, um, you're in two different realities uh, because Fox News is pretty much just blowing it all up, saying fake news, fake news, fake news, as we expected. And the Democrats are like, oh, it's explosive and Trump is in the can. So... Um, I thought that the truth was, probably lies somewhere in between. Right. I mean, personally, I feel like Trump's been in the can and everyone's in denial, <laughs> like from day one. But um, I mean, pretty much the facts are undisputed. I mean, right. He gets on television and literally says, yeah, I want um, I asked them to investigate Biden. And by the way, China should investigate Biden, too. So it's pretty much that part is not even in question. He obviously asked them to investigate Joe Biden and the timing, you know, like I always tell people, when you're trying to figure out the truth in a situation, you have to ask what people's motives are, who's going to benefit from a situation, who's, who's going to get hurt, and, um, you know, the timing of things. And so the fact that he asked for help on this investigation after Joe Biden entered the race, I think is indicative. But in any event, um, you know, I thought it would be helpful to kind of go back and talk a little bit about Ukraine because most of us, you know, don't think a lot about Ukrainian politics and everything that I'm going to tell you today, I researched and looked up on my own. I'm a criminal justice major, not a history major. So if, you know, as always we say here, if we say anything that is incorrect, please correct us because it's all about having a group conversation and learning from each other. So, um, Ukraine lies on the border to Russia. Most people know that. And there's not a hard border there. In other words, most geographically, uh, most countries, they kind of end up having like a, riv a river, major river or mountain range or something that, you know, over time, one army's like, yeah, screw going through them mountains. We're just going to say that part's their country. <laughs> so, um, you know, but in Ukraine, there's, there, there are rivers, a lot of rivers in Ukraine. Um, but as far as being uh, not traversable, as, as far as, you know, Russia being right there, I mean, uh, you know, imagine if Mexico, as much as Trump says we're being invaded by Mexicans, I mean, imagine if Mexico was an actual hostile force against us and we don't have that border wall like where they literally had tanks and soldiers like creeping in and out of texas like on a regular basis like i mean so you kind of have to understand you know the threat that ukrainians live under from russia uh, because of that they don't have that border um and then also there's a mixture of people inside of ukraine because of their history you have people who feel very russian because they um you know, came to Ukraine, um, and but they're ethnically Russian. Uh, and then there are people in Ukraine who feel culturally and ethnically like they're Ukrainian. And so you get that mix there. 
the majority of them feel Ukrainian, but there is there are sections that are very pro-Russian. Um, and Ukraine and Russia have, has had a really, you know, difficult relationship. It's like a bad marriage um, with a lot of abuse. So um, after World War One, um, you know, you, well, Ukraine had a, a time of independence. Lots of different cultures and different um, empires and stuff invaded them. Lots of people moved in, in and out. I mean, it was a kind of a well-trafficked, if you go back, it's a really complicated history. I read a lot of it, but for the most part, um, they had a period of independence, um, and then World War One happened, and uh, the Soviet Union, um, Stalin, came in and you know took over Ukraine. So that was like in 1917 when Ukraine became part of the Soviet Union, and uh, Stalin's rule of Ukraine was like his rule of most of the Soviet Union, it was extremely brutal. Uh, a lot of people suffered and died under Stalin. Um, and in the 1930s in particular, um, there was a famine in Ukraine and millions of people died and it was because of Stalin's policy. So, you know, you have to kind of understand that a lot of uh, countries have this mixture of peoples and cultures that happen and battles that go on. I mean, we had our own civil war here in, in the United States, but when, you know, like say, for example, my grandfather fought in World War II. So even though I don't have, I was born in 1970 and I don't have any, you know, obviously no understanding of World War II from a first person perspective, your grandparents tell you stories about their experiences in relation to you know that part of their life because that was an important part of their life so people living in ukraine right now who are my age have grandparents who suffered this you know uh under stalin other grandparents are probably not not most of them aren't alive today um or they're very very old but the people living in ukraine this is not stalin is not so far ago for so far in the past that they haven't um you know felt the repercussions of that especially at the 1930s when the famine when millions of people died i mean that's that's like horrible and scarring to a nation that people suffered like that you know i think too that um we we kind of joked all the time in our in our family that uh the only reason people don't look as look at stalin as being as bad as hitler is because stalin only killed his own people <laughs> and we always like joked that um but you're right, um, you know, the, the Holocaust, people talk about the Holocaust all the time and all of the horrible things that Hitler did and how, you know, that there are, I actually don't know if there's any Holocaust survivors still alive. If so, it's probably very, very few. Um, people but, that were children, probably. Yeah, people that time. were children. Um, but I can remember when I learned about the Holocaust and, you know, watching those, you know, uh, TV shows that they would do and they'd interview Holocaust survivors and they would show their tattoos on their arms and stuff. And so, you know, even in my lifetime, you know, you see stuff like that. It's not very far removed, but I think people do forget about Stalin because he killed his own people. So it's like they don't, you know what I mean? People mm -hmm. don't talk about it as, as much as, like, they did Hitler. Right. So that's a good point. Right. And, I and too, you know, like in World War II, um, there there's a, was a lot of hatred between, like, the, the Nazis and the communists. Like, people, nowadays you'll hear uh, people on the far right say, oh, these socialists, you know, uh, the democratic socialists, and they, they get all paranoid about that, and they try to say that um, Hitler was the party of uh, the socialists, which is hilarious because they hated communism. And anyways, but this it's, it's all convoluted. But um, so, yeah, and then uh, so the Soviet Union was 
a massive conglomeration um, of, of different areas um, under, under Stalin. And then, you know, uh, we entered the Cold War with uh, Russia, you know, after World War II. And, and uh, you know, then let's kind of fast forward to um, basically, well, okay, let me just say this. Under the, 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 uh, the Soviet Union, because their economy was communist and it was controlled entirely by the government at the top, there was a massive black market there. Like a lot of countries, almost all countries have like black market for illegal items. But in the Soviet Union, it became like really deep and advanced and widespread, the black market. So, and that kind of becomes important later. But um, in the early, in the mid 80s, I should say, you know, there was this attempt um, to bring you know, the Soviet Union into uh, more democratic uh, reforms. And, you know, as you remember, um, Ronald Reagan, this would have been when I was in junior high school, and there was this big talk about Glasnost and Ronald Reagan um, talking to Mikhail Gorbachev and saying, like, um, you know, come on into the, you know, free market and let your people have democracy and, and all these things. And, and I mean, Gorbachev was a reformer, and he started to relax um, the, you know, kind of, like, over in the Soviet Union, like, if you criticize the government, like, you could be sent off to Siberia or killed or whatever. Like, it was extremely hardcore. So when Gorbachev started to let people, you know, have peaceful assembly and freedom of the press, like, people were kind of like, I don't know, is this for real? We're going to get thrown in jail. But it was pretty quickly realized that, these protests were happening and people were not being arrested, shot, whatever. So it kind of continued to spread. And then um, there started to be these uh, independence movements, you know, and Ukraine being one of those countries that wanted to be independent. And so, um, you know, and the, like I said, you had Reagan um, saying, hey, you know, we want to work, we want to have peace with you. We don't want to be like two nuclear powers in a standoff anymore. Um, so one of the things that was at issue, even as Gorbachev started to let these, um, countries become more independent was the issue of Germany because, you know, Germany had invaded Russia, kind of a sore spot for them. Um, and there was a wall between East and West Germany. And yeah, that always did confuse me because I thought the Germans and the Russians, um, were like buddies no didn't they fight together in world war ii no or they wait they had they had some kind of deal and then germany like yeah uh, or like screwed early them over on, or whatever. yeah so yeah they, they agreed not to invade poland and, and then they did anyway and they did and so it and was Russia just like oh, that, oh wait right? we, wait we can't trust nazis well right go yeah figure. so have their relations been bad since that happened well um so stalin ended up coming you know, over to our side. And so they fought with us in World War II. Right. And then, so since then, Germany and Russia have not been on good terms. Well, I mean, as much as you can be on good terms with the Soviet Union, I mean, they were kind of a hardcore, like, communist regime. And Germany became democratic after, the, after you know, Hitler was removed. Right, 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 right. They became, like, democratic, and so... 
so they didn't get along with them. Okay. Yeah, because so like you had sense. a communist country right next to, you know, a, a free country, and what happened in Germany was people would like try to sneak out to like go to Germany because they're like people in Russia would sneak yeah, out. Yeah, they'd be like, Germany. screw communism, like we're escaping. So they built a wall there, and like if you tried to climb over the wall, like they'd kind of kill you. It was oh like my gosh, because you know communism, like. Um, just like North Korea, for example, like we all know that people in North Korea live under a horrible dictator and like they're trapped in there and they're not, everything's censored. The media is all censored. It's kind of like, um, they live in a bubble inside the rest of the world because to keep people in that kind of, under that kind of like hardcore control, they can't know there's anything else. Yeah. yeah because eventually, eventually people will rise up. And, and, and of course, if you're extremely brutal and you do things like torture people and stuff, it makes people like, listen, it's bad, but it's not bad enough to like stick my neck out and get like ripped apart or whatever. So, you know, a combination of brutality and like keeping them, everything censored. Um, and you see that like with the Hong Kong thing, because the people in Hong Kong have had freedom now and now China is right next door. So I think probably China's afraid that people, Chinese are going to start escaping to Hong Kong to have freedom. I don't know. But um, I saw where a reporter went into China with a uh, picture of Tiananmen Square. And um, if you have any knowledge about Tiananmen Square. Yeah, that's where the guy like stood in front of the tank. And right. yeah, yeah, I know about that. And that's that. the picture that they showed to all these people in China. And nobody knew where it had happened. Because China has done such an effective job of like blacking that out so that nobody knows about it, and people that live there are not are not allowed to talk about it. So it's just kind of like it didn't happen. It's really crazy to think that in the information age that you could restrict stuff enough that people would be like, I don't know, I don't know. But then yeah, again, that's like insane. that's that's insane. But then again, you go to college campuses and ask college students if they if if Hillary Clinton wants to implement Sharia law, do they think it's a good idea? And some of them go, Yeah, if Hillary says, I mean, we should. Oh, I know. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So I mean, it should be a crime to be all? that ignorant when you don't live <laughs> in a place like North Korea. But anyway, I got so you anyway, all so like yeah, there. so the people in in Russia would try to escape, and so they built a wall in Germany. So um, Reagan was like, Can we? You know, Gorbachev tear down this but wall. But did they make? Did they make Germany pay for the wall? <laughs> or who paid for the wall? Did Russia pay for the wall? Who, who paid for the wall? I think Russia paid for the wall. <laughs> okay. I'm not sure about that, but I think that I think they did. Yes, and the famous thing, Mr. Yeah. Gorbachev, tear down this tear wall. Tear down that wall. Right. right. And that happened like the year I graduated high school. That was a big deal. Yeah. Um, so that was a big issue because, um, you know, basically if, the Soviet Union says, okay, we're going to let people, you know, have their own independence, whatever. We're going to let Germany be united. What that means is that Germany is right on our border, which they were anyway. But it's like now they're in, it's like moving, like if you said we're going to move um, the Texas border, the Mexican-Texas border, like we're going to put Texas in with Mexico now. You know what I'm saying? People that live in Texas would be like, like just now we're like it, it just screws everything up when you move a border like that it like messes people up they'd be like now hold on here and every <laughs> single like if you look at so many conflicts like between india and pakistan fighting over that region in the middle um the Kashmir, it's it's like all these areas that are in contention are because of colonial times and then the, they said okay go ahead you can have your independence well it's like where's the border gonna be right and so right. They, they end up with all these like fights for centuries over like where the border should have been or whatever so anyway 
So Gorbachev agreed to tear the wall down. Um, and then when Ukraine, in 1991, Ukraine became its own country. So, but here's, here's part of the tricky part of that. When it was the Soviet Union, they had nuclear missiles throughout their country. And they were also in Ukraine. So when Ukraine became its own country, the nukes were still there. So you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I can see how that would uh, pose a problem. (laughs) Just uh, a little problem. (laughs) Right. So, you know, that was an issue. And then um, Ukraine actually gave the nuclear weapons back to Russia um, in 1995. But they, there was a promise that the Russians would respect Ukraine's independence. See, it wasn't good to have two nuclear countries like that close together. So right. probably everybody was like, Ukraine, can you please just yeah. give the weapons? I mean, I get that, but the fuck was Ukraine thinking? Like, right. I wouldn't make that choice if I were them. I'd be like, hell no, I'm not giving up the only thing I got to bargain with. Like, what are you, insane? But I mean, I guess given the, given the fact that, you know, if in the in the mind frame of the people in Ukraine at the time, like Gorbachev had been like so giving and like let everybody have their own countries and it was all like peaceful and like hey great and everything was kumbaya and you know so I mean maybe they figured that if they didn't they, feel threatened, right? Like maybe they figured well if he didn't want to keep us by force then we don't have to worry about him coming back with force. So they gave the nukes back um, and like I said you know Russia respected that um until like 2014 which is when they invaded crimea but in the meantime um when the soviet union collapsed remember i was talking about the black market right yeah so what happened was a lot of the people that were in the higher echelons of government who were in control of all of the money they stole it (laughs) and you know you hear a lot of the talk about these russian oligarchs um, and you think, well, these must just be like Russian businessmen. But the thing is, in a Soviet country, there's no free enterprise. Like people don't just start their own businesses and like everything's controlled by the government. So, and then you have these black market mobsters, right? So there's a combination of like these black market people, some of which who had money and also had connections in the government. And then you had actual government people like ministry, heads of departments who stole money. So when the Soviet Union collapsed, you had this just explosion of like super rich Russian people. Um, And also there was pressure in the years before the fall of the Soviet Union by our government to let people out, specifically people of Jewish um, ancestry because, you know, Jews were per- have been persecuted everywhere in the world, um, but in Russia it was particularly pretty bad. And so, and there were a lot of Jewish people living in the United States that were like, hey, you know, we want to put pressure on Russia to let some Jewish people emigrate to either the United States or Israel. And so um, part- putting like kind of uh, financial pressures and like we won't really do business with you if you don't, you know, it was like a kind of just the pulling teeth, but trying to get them to let some people out. So one of the things that they did was, um, and there was like quotas in these agreements, like you have to let so many people out, blah, blah, blah. Um, and 
one of the things that they did was they went to the prison and got people out of prison <laughs> who had Jewish names and sent them here because that solved like two problems. It helped them meet their quota, plus they were exporting their criminals, which is pretty funny because you know how Trump's always like, oh, Mexico doesn't send us their best. They send us like criminals. <laughs> so, I mean, I could just imagine like the, um, you know, the people in Russia like laughing like, ha, 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 we just shipped them like the Russian mafia. But anyway, so a lot of those people moved to New York and to Florida. Now, let me just say that like lots of those people that did come here were just good, honest people of Jewish ancestry. So I'm not implying that like all of these people were in any way, shape, or form that they were all mobsters. But what I'm saying is there was a high concentration of the criminal element of Russia kind of concentrated in New York and Florida. So now if you think about Trump's uh, world, <laughs> where his areas of business are, right? New York and Florida. So when these oligarchs started to come here with their newfound tons of stolen money, Trump was just getting into, he was just becoming like the rising star of real estate and, you know, all these casinos were opening and, you know, he was really, um, you know, coming into himself. So he was kind of uh, socially in the same circles with a lot of these kind of shady characters. And if you do any amount of research, um, there's like so many of these characters. If you just type in like Russian oligarchs Trump, you'll see like all of these people that he knew and that he, you know, had connections with. And um, some of them have been indicted. <laughs> some of them have been um, arrested, uh, prosecuted. And, you know, so it's not a good look for him really that that's like a lot of his connections. But I mean, he's a businessman. He does business with a lot a lot of people so I mean that in and of itself doesn't mean anything but what I'm saying is that you know he was in real estate in New York um, in, in Florida and that's where these a lot of these people were so he was going to run into them he was going to meet them and I think the fact that you know they had a lot of the stolen money um, and they were trying to figure out what to do with it because you know um, the people that came in and governance in Russia were like, where's all the money? Like they, they, it wasn't like they didn't know that millions, probably billions of dollars went missing out of the national treasury. Right. So they were kind of hunting some of these people, um, and Interpol and, you know, RFBI and pretty much intelligence agencies, probably all over the world were like trying to figure out like where this money went. Um, so one of the things that they would do is launder their money through real estate and there came a time in the 90s in the probably in the 90s yeah when when uh you know trump ran into some financial difficulties and um you know there's been a lot of reports that he couldn't get any more loans in the united states because he had bankrupted himself so many times that he he was having trouble finding financial backing well you combine that at the same time with a lot of these Russian oligarchs who had money they needed to put somewhere so you know a lot of them bought real estate from him and those transactions um, 
from what I know, have never found to be criminal. There is a suspicion that a lot of the money that was used to purchase them was being laundered by these oligarchs. Um, as far as actual criminal, like, proof of any anything, I know that um, the Taj Mahal, which is one of Trump's casinos, it was actually fined by the Department of Justice for um, knowing and willful violations of um, laws that prevent money laundering. So, um, you know, you're required when people bring cash into a casino of a certain amount to document it because it could be from drug activity or, or other criminal illicit enterprise. And uh, so the fact that his casino was repeatedly warned and eventually fined for failure to follow these uh, practices that would prevent money laundering, I mean, you can draw your own conclusions about that. So um, that kind of brings us up to the uh, the 2000, oh, one other thing I wanted to mention too about you, when Ukraine became independent was that NATO, which is, you know, an international group of, uh, you know, it's like, it's like if anybody attacks a NATO ally, the other allies get forces together and go and fight for them. So one thing that Russia is concerned about is the expansion of NATO into Ukraine because Ukraine and Russia share a border. And so there's been a lot of dispute because um, when the Soviet Union fell, one of the things they were promised was that if, you know, Ukraine became its own country, that the United States would not push to have, um, you know, certain missile systems in countries that were right up against Russia's borders. They didn't want NATO to further encroach, and that has happened, so that's another point of contention. And so now the Ukrainians have their independence, and uh, of course, in the process of their becoming more westernized, they want to more align themselves with the European Union, with, with the West, they want more freedoms, and then you have, you know, Vladimir Putin, who's in who's in Russia, and, you know, they're still kind of, they're not the Soviet Union, but it's still a lot more repressive and controlled than it is in Ukraine. So, um, that's what kind of set the stage for these two competing forces of the conservative Russian side and the more liberal Ukrainian side. And what's happened over time is that has bled into our politics. Because if you go back and look at, um, even very early on, the Ukrainians were, their interests, I would say, are more aligned with Democrats and, you know, the European Union, and the Republicans are more aligned with, you know, the Russians. And, you know, Trump, as far as his political leanings go, it's pretty much wherever he's going to make a buck. I don't think he people today act like he's the conservative godsend like yeah i don't i never understood that especially you know uh, being a big part of internet culture and i think this the political divide and a lot of people who weren't interested in politics suddenly now like have this stance that they they will not let go of and that's been really interesting um which i feel like did start under obama because a lot of people hated him and i don't really even know that a lot of them had a reason to um i mean not that there weren't reasons but i think that particularly in our area and in our communities I watched a lot of people take these really hard stances over made-up things in their own mind and I see that with Trump as well you know people posted but that are uh, really anti-abortion they're really pro-life um 
and they they look at Trump like he's this you know super for life like walking out there on March March of our lives or whatever the abortion marches are and it's like he's he really you know what I mean like hasn't taken a hard stance on that I mean it's like it's not one of the big things that he talks about and even guns being another big thing that's like a hot button topic that conservatives are for and um, Democrats are supposedly against he really doesn't say a whole lot about that either I mean well he's taking a bunch of money now from the NRA so he's super pro-gun now right but it's like just when I watched the debates and stuff it was like well first of all the one debate I watched with my mother-in-law I don't remember which one it was um, but it was Hillary and Trump so it had to have been like after you know after they had both gotten the party tickets it's just just down to the presidential election um but we watched one i think it was the first one together and it was literally just like um it was like this tv show that i used to watch as a kid it was a claymation show called celebrity death match mm-hmm. and like they would these little <laughs> claymation celebrities would get in a ring and like smack talk each other and then like fight or whatever and i'm like this is what i feel like i'm watching because it was so much like name calling and interrupting and eye rolling and scoffing and like they really didn't talk about much at all. And she she was on the opposite side. I mean, I didn't want to vote for Clinton, and but she, you know, was for Trump, uh, which, funny enough, we both voted for Bernie in the primaries, another one of those situations. Um, but, you know, so we're sitting on opposite ends of the spectrum. And at the end of the debate, we were both just looking at each other like, did either one of them talk about really any topics mm-hmm. at all? Did they cover anything? No, it was just a show. Right, it was. And, a shit show. Yeah, it was just... <laughs> I mean, that, it's just a crazy thing with the Trump presidency that so many people support him. And I'm like, okay, but why? Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, he's this, this, and this. And I'm like, but where do you get that from? Because it's, it's not based on anything he's done or he said. So it's like, I mean, when people say they vote for him because he's a businessman and they like his trade policies, I'm like, okay, I can see that. But like people who are really on this hot button issues like abortion and guns, I, I don't mm-hmm. get that. I mean... People are talking about now how Trump has been more restrictive on gun laws than Obama was because what he banned the um, what the uh, silencers, the bump stocks, the bump stocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So there was like a couple different things there, and like you know what I mean. It, people who supported Trump were kind of critical of it, but yet it didn't turn them off of him. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, what's funny too is What's that it? if you it's remember during the Republican primary, all of the people, you know, Lindsey Graham and Ted Cruz and all these people when they were running against Trump like incessantly brought up the fact that he was a Democrat and he gave money to Hillary Clinton. He was friends with Hillary Clinton. Mr. Lock her up was like friends with Bill and Hillary. Right. Yeah. I mean, he was just in that whole New York circle. And I mean, right. That's a good point. If you want to see the things about uh, Trump, like true Republicans that want to see like, listen, he's not, he is not a friend of your party. He's just, you know, using your party to get where he is is to look at some of the things that the other Republican candidates said about him during the 2016 campaign trail because they did bring up a lot of that about how he flip-flopped and about how, you know, for so long up until, you know, he got the the ticket, he had no stance on abortion, like had not said anything about it. Like there were so many things like that that his, you know, fellow Republicans did use against him, which just proves my point is it's like, <laughs> you know no, what I'm saying? As soon like, as he, but as soon as he became the nominee, it was like, everybody bent over and kissed his butt yeah they did and Lindsey graham like i honestly i mean regardless of your political differences i don't see how anybody could could put anything in in any stock in what Lindsey graham says because of the fact that he was so he said trump was a narcissist a liar the most dangerous person he wasn't in that like he he berated trump as the most horrible scary person ever to be president and now that trump's president Lindsey graham would you know 
do anything to help Trump. And I, and it's just, I just don't feel like you have any backbone or any ethics or anything about you if you can just completely flip over like that. Right. And I, fe- I feel like not to that extreme because I realize there's a lot of other factors involved in it, but I, I know a lot of people on the, uh, the other side, like Democratic left-leaning, were disappointed when Bernie, uh, you know, said that after he didn't get the ticket, which was a total scam, uh, but that he, you know, conceded or whatever to Hillary Clinton. And people were like, well, there just proves it right there, you know, that he's, he's one of them because why would he concede to her and this and that? And I try to look at it as not so much that, you know, he gave in and conceded to her, but it's just that's kind of the way our system works. And if mm-hmm. you don't follow that system, it, it kind of puts out a bad reputation for you there. You know, mm-hmm. like what was his choice to say, uh, no, I don't, and try to fight it? And he could have ran as an independent, but then he would have split the vote. And this, right. But, I mean, there's people that say that if if the, if the he would have split the vote, if he would have been the third candidate, that, like, all the people that voted for Trump that were going to vote for him voted for him, and all the people who'd rather vote for him than Hillary, like, maybe he would have been the president, but... I just feel like there was a lot of different options there, rather than, um, like, this Lindsey Graham that you're talking about. Like, what, what was their... What were they going to lose by continuing to not like Trump? other than not having his support. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like if Bernie said, no, I'm not going to concede to her, and he would have fought it, then there was going to be a lot of people on the left, like, listen, if you would have just conceded to her, Trump wouldn't have won. It's your fault. You know what I mean? And then he would have had to take all the blame of that. So it's like I see on both sides of it, like, where if he would have taken a stance, maybe it could have turned out differently. But at the same time, I understand the other implications for why he didn't. Mm -hmm. I don't think it has anything to do with him supporting her. I think that he knew that, um, he would have another chance to run for president. And that's what I'm saying. I think he did too. And I think after Hillary lost once, he knew she would, wasn't going to try. I mean, people are having these rumors that she's going to jump in. I don't see it happening, but... I know. I saw this article on Facebook that was like, Hillary said that she's being pushed to run again and she's considering it or something. And I was like, you better say psych right now. Like, <laughs> like the only no, place no, she's being not again. pushed is off a ledge if she gets too close to one. That's, yes, no totally. one's pushing her to run. Her other voices in her head are telling her to run for president. Maybe near a tandem. I, but other than that, I don't. But yeah, that's the thing about, um, I guess some people I get, like I get why Ted Cruz turned around and was like, hated on Trump because he was running against him. And now he's like supporting him because, you know, he wanted to be appointed somewhere. He wanted a position in there. Um, but some of the people who were just totally against him that flip-flopped and now they're all for him, um, you know, like some of these, um, what's the guy's name? Super pro-Republican guy. He's always on the radio. He has a radio show. Oh, what's his name? Rush Limbaugh. Yeah, Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh, Mm -hmm. which I, I can't believe that name escaped me, but it's like people like in his position that are not in the politics, they're kind of just like on the outskirts or people like, um, Ann Coulter and people like that. I don't understand why they have to flop their opinions or why they choose to because it's like you're not even in politics. Like you're just like a, a figurehead that talks and spews well, it's your all message. About, it's all about what are you trying to get out of it. Like I said, you got to question a person's motives. And Lindsey Graham, for example, you know, he looks at his district and they know how many points by how many points Trump won that district. They see Trump as extremely popular in their air voting area. They aren't going to say squat against Trump. Yeah, see, like, okay, so that makes sense. But no, it doesn't make sense. What it makes sense, it makes political sense. Yeah, it makes political ethically, sense. It makes, ethically and morally, it's, it's Right, it makes, makes no sense. Yeah. So it's all about the numbers. As far as Rush Limbaugh and Ann Coulter, you're right, they're talking heads, but they, but, but they get their money from people buying their shit and from people listening to their shit day in and day out. So what are they going to do when Trump becomes president? All of a sudden start talking about how much they love Nancy Pelosi? No. Their base is a hardcore conservative base. 
So now that Trump's president, really the only thing they continue to do is say the Republican guy's great and the Democrats are horrible. Right. That I guess, I mean, that confuses me too because me personally, um, I don't like to watch CNN and the one lady on there, everybody always talks about Rachel Maddow. I think she's like That's the, MSNBC, but yeah. the short-haired lady. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like everyone like on the left loves her and they love this and that. And I'm just like, I just can't eat their garbage either. You right, know what I mean? Yeah. I just can't. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. Even though they're like preaching, you know, from quote unquote my side, I just cannot... I just can't. It just feels like, I don't know. It just it feels, it feels like it's being made for you. Yes, and I hate that. Because it is. Because it's all propaganda. So I don't know why people as a whole even buy into that shit. Like, it just feels like someone's talking down to you as a child. Like, oh, they know Rachel they're manipulating Maddow you. Is, like, Rachel Maddow is like, I can't listen to her for like three seconds because she talks to you like she has to keep starting her sentences over because this is now, now get this part. I right, mean, exactly. Like, so you acts like you're a five-year-old. Like, and then so people insulting. on Fox News, you flick through there and they're just like always screaming right. at the camera, so, like, like you outrage. Got the like, low IQ Fox, which is on the, the right, and the low IQ MSNBC, which is on the left. And then you get CNN in the middle trying to be, I don't know what they are. I mean, they're, they're kind of a little bit, they're not quite like MSNBC, but they're, basically i feel like they're they all just push the they're also pandering yes and i don't know why people buy into that shit at all now i will say that cnn i have seen people on cnn you know push back on you know both liberals and conservatives and kind of push back on them but they do a lot of anti-trump stuff so i would say they lean left but they i have actually seen them push back on some yeah i would say that too. i wouldn't necessarily say like oh they're 100 percent left um, definitely not on the right, but I think that they are anti-Trump mm-hmm. for sure. My problem with the with the with the far left, with the MSNBC, is that they spent so much time Trump hating. Which hey, I hate Trump too. I get it, but like you spent so much time harping about Trump instead of asking like, "Hello, Nancy Pelosi, Earth the Nancy Pelosi. Have you done a damn thing today?" Like. When they need to be pushing our people, the left people, to do more, they don't. Well, that's the biggest thing, too. I think a, a lot of people in the millennial generation, they, they're talking about um, it's a whole new political world because, and I hope I hope this is ringing true, and I hope this isn't just, you know, an opinion that's spread amongst the internet but really holds no water. You know what I mean? And I, I only think only time will tell one way or the other that the millennials don't care about party lines and that if you're not getting shit done, we want to replace you. And we kind of saw that with, um, you know, people like AOC. They mm-hmm. like her. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people on the left, especially millennials, that are like, we don't like Nancy Pelosi. Like, she does nothing. Like, mm-hmm. she's just an old crony. Like, people don't like that. I think those people are more of the base that voted for Bernie rather than Hillary because I feel like anybody in their right mind can see that she's an old crony too. Um, but I feel like that's only going to ring true as time goes on and as the more divisive people get, well, they just abandon that and they'll just go with whatever their party says. And I don't know. We'll see, I guess. Well, I think there's what people are craving is authenticity because they've come to realize that the political establishment on the left and the political establishment on the right are all beholden to special interests. Right, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think... Um, Millennials are kind of bringing to the table that like we don't care about your party if if you're an old time crony and you're out for your own interests like right. we don't like you right end of story like and, and the media is the same is true of the media because I think the reason a lot of people are going to independent media is because I'm sorry right now I think the biggest problem with the impeachment hearing is that um, you know they are trying to hold Trump accountable for what is 
absolutely corrupt and impeachable behavior. But they got their own dirt because they're still defending Joe Biden. I mean, nobody can explain still why Joe Biden's son was on the board of a gas company in Ukraine while they were there was all kind of investigations into the corruption. And somebody actually put on Twitter, oh, Joe Biden's son was over there on the board to fight corruption. I'm like, honestly, seriously, is that what you're trying to sell me? That he got a job on a board making $83,000 a month or what, 50000 whatever a month he was making because he wanted to fight corruption in Ukraine? Right, I mean, exactly. come on. Yeah, and if we're... If- like they do a lot with Trump and they look at different things that have nothing to do with politics, but just like the stuff that he said or the things that he's done, like being divorced and having all these kids and, you know, this and that and the other. If, if if we're allowed to use those things against him as a basis for his character, then I don't know why Democrats aren't doing the same because I literally just read that he came out in some paternity test that he had been fighting, um, that he that he was the father for it. And I'm just like, I... Who was this? Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden. And I'm like, I just can't believe that like I I hadn't heard anything about this and then suddenly I read it and I'm like I feel like the whole image of of this guy is starting to come out mm-hmm. that he's not this like <laughs> you know well there this was a- perfect little like I don't I just hate when people that well that doesn't say anything about you know whether he did something corrupt and I'm like I don't know part of me thinks that no you can't take those individual things and make up a whole person but at the same time you can mm-hmm. certain actions and moral aptitude is all in play there, you know? And it should be out there. Like, if the media was honest, it would all be out there. Like, we wouldn't have to discount everything Fox News says if they weren't such cover artists for Trump. Like, maybe the stuff they're saying about Biden's true, but you can't really believe Fox News because they lie so much in defense of Trump. And then maybe some of the stuff that MSNBC puts out about Trump isn't true, but we can't believe them because they lie and cover up so much for the left or just just ignore stories that would hurt the left. This is the story that I read, which is what I'm saying about like moral guidelines here, right? A DNA test revealed Hunter Biden fathered a baby with another woman while he was dating his brother's widow. That's a mouthful right there. That's from Business Insider. Um, That's just a whole mouthful right there. Is that like Days of Our Lives plot next I mean, come on. You're dating your brother's widow. I mean, and you father a child yeah. with someone else. like That's the mm, shitty part. Like, mm. I mean, I could see if you're, you know, I don't know. Yeah, your I, I just, I feel like that's a whole I mean, maybe some people would right be there. like, you know, your brother died and then you. And he, he spent all that time denying that he was the baby's father. So there was that too. It's that's not like this. Scummy. It's not like this woman just came out and said, hey, you know, he, no, he denied it. That's and, and then now he's going to eat it. Denying your child is scummy. Yeah. No, no, there's no two ways. So that's, that. I don't know. I just feel like seeing the moral outline of this guy, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know why people are defending him just because he's Joe Biden's son. Well, like, and there's there was uh, the first book I read about this allegation, which it's not a new book, really. Let me look up and see what it was. But it's called Secret Empires, and it's by Peter Schweitzer. And what he does is he looks at all the conflicts of interest among like current politicians and past politicians, and and Hunter Biden and Joe Biden were in involved in that. He wrote about them in this book, and he talks about the Ukraine issue. And he also talks about um, Hunter Biden and John Kerry's son, who started a company called Rosemont. And, and you know, China being being a communist country and being very, the, everything there is extremely controlled as well. So um, Joe Biden was in charge of China and Ukraine at that time as far as, you know, working out different deals with them and stuff. But anyway, so when he went on a trip to China... Hunter and um, John Kerry's son started this company, Rosemont, and I guess they went 
uh, over there and ended up getting, you know, business deals. And that's in, that's in the book too. And I kind of wondered when all this stuff came out, if somebody had slipped like Peter Schweitzer's book over to Trump, be like, read these passages <laughs> because it's literally right out of that book. Um, but also Peter Schweitzer writes about uh, Mitch McConnell, whose wife is um, Chinese and her father made all of his money um, building ships and in the shipping industry. And now she has a position, I can't tell you exactly what it is, but some she has a very high level position in like the Department of Transportation or something that has to do with that. So, you know, he raises questions about that and also about um, Trump's children being involved in politics because, you know, they, there was a, there's been in the past a history of this kind of nepotism. She's Taiwanese. Taiwanese. Mitch McConnell's wife, yeah. Her name is Elaine Chow. Elaine Chow, right. And is this, can you see what her... She, yeah, she's the Secretary of Transportation. Secretary of Transportation. As of uh, January 2017. Yeah, so they would be, she would be, you know, in charge but of... Before she was uh, the Secretary of Labor under President Bush, uh, from, it says from 2001 to 2009, but would have been 2008, I'm guessing they mean... Um, so, yeah, she wasn't, like, specifically, I mean, they moved her to Secretary of Transportation under Trump, but she it says she did serve under Bush, too. Mm -hmm. Right. But not under Obama. <laughs> well, right, because, you know. <laughs> because Mitch McConnell because is a stain. He's, <laughs> he's a turtle-looking stain. <laughs> he does look like a turtle. I hate him. But, no, but so this book talks about, like, how laws were passed to prevent, like, people from having business interests that are conflict of interest right themselves but then their children can obviously tag on dad's coattails and go to china and ukraine with them and apparently get contracts that they otherwise wouldn't have gotten and it, and it is it is a problem and i feel like if the democrats weren't out there like defending joe biden listen my feeling is that he is doing terribly in the debates. He's he's awful. He and can't he can't get a sentence out without stumbling. Every all my friends are calling him uh, old crusty Joe because he just he literally is like he's a, just bad. Yeah, he's awful. He's, he's bad. a stammering old man, just like Trump. And it's like we I mean, don't want don't, another one of those. Like, right. I don't even know if it's about his age because Bernie's spot on. Bernie never takes his eye off the ball. Um, yeah, I know that is weird because you're right. This, Bernie's up there in age too. He's but, older than Biden. But we like. My group of friends and I, we all like joke and laugh that, you know, Trump is so old and Biden is so old and like we need to get them out of there because they're just like so old and they can't get with the times or whatever. But no one ever says it about Bernie, even though he's pretty ancient. too. <laughs> That's that is funny. Well, I think it's his he has the passion that you that young people have. He's just you know like I mean? not um, so far removed. Like, I feel like if you if you hand it, if you put the three of them in a room and, and put an iPhone in between them and you were like, <laughs> here, set an alarm on this phone that like. Bernie is probably the only one that could figure it out. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of the, uh, that's the impression that they give. They're right. just, like, kind of really not at least in tune with us. At least, at least that he has, like, mental acumen. Like, Biden is just, he's such a space cadet. He's just, anytime they ask him a question, anytime he's caught on camera now, and I think that's one of the reasons he entered the race late and he's, he hid from, like, the cameras for so long, because he knows that he's not good. And his policies aren't good. So his policies are crap. His he's he's just bad. And honestly, I feel like the only reason he's running and that people are backing him up, thinking, "Oh, this is a good one," is because 
this is kind of just like a burn back. You know what I mean? Like, oh, Obama couldn't be president anymore, but now we're going to put Joe Biden in the race so that you guys have to deal with basically another Obama presidency. I feel like that's the only reason they're doing it. It's like a spite thing. Well, I mean, and I think Biden really thought he was going to benefit off of um, that kind of kumbaya that people had for Obama. But there's two problems with that. First of all, Obama's legacy is falling apart. He won't. And I've heard that. Uh, I have to look it up to double check it. But that that Obama hasn't endorsed him. No, no, no. He at all. No. And that's like, no. Dude, that's kind of a stain that yeah. you served under it this is. guy. And he hasn't even endorsed it's you. especially a stain because of the hatred level of Trump. And Obama, like, I don't think Obama dignifies Trump's hatred with a return hatred, but you know he's at least got to be super yeah, irritated. exactly. Like, he's got to be like, ooh. So, like, in person, <laughs> especially after all those years of Trump being like, oh, share your birth certificate and all that shit that he put him through. Like, right, yeah. Obama's definitely got to be grit his teeth, like, looking at this shit And he show. still won't help Biden <laughs> I know. So what does that say? That says something for sure to me. Something, something went on there. I don't know. Well, I think Obama, too, feels like he kind of, he was kind of an imposter, right? He he got through, because everybody had this, like, love for Obama. I mean, obviously not everybody, but I'm saying the people that got him elected, I voted for him twice, and we had this, like, oh, you know, America is going to enter a new era now, less racism, and we finally have our black president, and... I mean, we didn't vote him into office for that, but it was like, I think everybody across the country had like such a warm feeling like Obama was going to be yeah, it was a different the hope. kind of, it was yeah, the hope, hope that he wasn't going to be corrupt. And like now we're just as disillusioned by him as anybody could be with a politician because we know that his record is pretty much shit. I mean, he didn't, he didn't get us out of any of the wars that he said he was going to get us out of. He didn't do any of the things he said he was going to do. So I feel like, Biden has nothing to gain even if Obama would endorse him. And so he, I, I honestly don't know why people are still propping Joe Biden up. Seriously, I don't know either. Who, get out. And who? Who is doing Just this? Just get out. Comcast. <laughs> Corporate donors. But I mean, he's like the version, the, the more likable version of Hillary. And we saw how that went. Right. Okay. And so here's my, um, here's my prediction, which I've been like squawking. For the past couple of weeks since everyone started talking about this impeachment thing. And honestly, um, I've been doing midterms and exams and preparing for final exams. So I haven't haven't been watching these at all. Because I'm just like, I can't even, you know what I mean? Like centered in on school right now. So I was like waiting to hear all of your analysis of all of this. I'm like, I'm not even going to tune into it. I'm just going to wait. And then we'll have this discussion. So my kind of prediction for this is that this is how it's going to go, right? Democrats are so obsessed with how this impeachment hearing is going to go. And they're distracting everybody with that. Everyone look at this. Trump's going down. Blah, 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 blah. Distract everybody with that. Um, instead of focusing on anything about what they're actually doing. You know, same thing with, you know, when Clinton was running. They could have been pumping up like, hey, look, the Democrats are doing this. We're fighting for this. We're doing this. Blah, 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 blah. Trying to get people to win over. But instead, all they were doing was hating Trump. Mm -hmm. So now I feel like they're doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. Instead of the subject being hating Trump, it's let's impeach Trump. So I feel like they're pumping up Joe Biden. I don't know why they've selected him. I guess because he's the only one they think can probably beat Bernie. Um, because if you look at all the other candidates, 
I, I feel like they don't have a snowflake chance, chance in hell. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I don't know. Pete Buttigieg just had a magic fairy come down, and, and that wasn't a gay joke. Like, I just <laughs> honestly mean, like, a um, um, fairy godmother, like, tapped him on his forehead because now, oh, God, CNN is putting – he's through the roof in Iowa. Like, it's just – Right, that's what I'm saying. Buttigieg, Booker – uh, Harris, all of them. I just, even Elizabeth Warren. I just don't think. I just don't think they had a snowball's chance in hell. So I feel like they're gonna pump Biden up, and they're gonna try to suppress Bernie as much as they possibly oh, of course. can. That's for sure. And they're gonna distract everybody with this impeachment shit. And then when election time comes, Trump's gonna win again, unless they actually end up doing something. Which I feel like this whole impeachment thing, as much as I feel like if he did break the law, it is important that nothing's gonna come of it. I think like everybody thinks that Trump's gonna end up in a prison cell, and I'm like, I just don't see that happening. Um, you know, that's about as realistic as thinking that Jeffrey Epstein really killed himself. Um, so, so, you know, I just, I feel like they're, they're handing the election over to him with well, this. As far as, um, Trump being impeached, I think if you go back and look at Nixon, it, I mean, Trump is so much like Nixon. Oh my goodness. Like if you just, if you learn anything about the Nixon presidency, Trump is like, it's like he's. If I thought he was capable of studying, reading and studying, I would have thought that he studied the Nixon presidency and just literally did everything Nixon did. But what happened with Nixon was, if you remember, he resigned because so much had come out that he had some really intense backers too, like people that were like going to stand by Nixon and go down and he was being persecuted and, you know, all that. And It was a witch hunt. It was a witch hunt. <laughs> well, his famous thing was, I'm not a crook. And it's hilarious because, like, it's just like with Trump saying fake news. Like, Nixon just said, I am, I'm not a crook. And people, like, that liked him were like, that's right, he's not a crook. But, I mean, so much shit came out that was, like, impossible. And it was kind of the same thing, too, because the guys that did the, the Watergate break-in, like, it was like, well, they did it, but, like, how do you know that Nixon told him to do it? So it's kind of like the same thing with this impeachment hearing. It's like, well, we know that there was like this delay with the military aid. And we know that Trump wanted investigations into Burisma, but was he holding the money back? So like this whole impeachment thing has been about whether he actually was holding it to extract what he wanted from, from Ukraine, which of course he was. Um, and I feel like the witnesses have shown that, but, um, the problem is that, like I said, Joe Biden, you know, he, he, he did have some shady business and then you got, uh, there was a lady, if you know, if you didn't watch the impeachment hearings, but there was a woman they brought up called, um, Chalupa. I think her first name is Alexandra Chalupa. And there's been some memes online about, I wasn't watching the impeachment hearings. I was having a Chalupa and it's like <laughs> joking about talking about or whatever. But um, so she was over in Ukraine and she's a pro, like a DNC operative, like pro Hillary camp. And she was over there in like 2007 or so, whenever Paul Manafort was over there. And if you remember, Paul Manafort was the campaign manager for the Trump 2016 campaign. And he ended up subsequently being imprisoned. <laughs> um, so he was over there actually running the campaign of a Ukrainian, a pro Russian Ukrainian. Um, and so she kind of took notice of Paul Manafort and his activities over there. And like I said, these politics come down to the pro-Ukrainian, pro-European view that the, the um, Ukrainians are going to join the EU and they're going to become like part of Europe. 
And then there's the pro-Russian camp who was like, Ukraine is really part of Russia and should be part of Russia. And that's where the Republicans are. So she was on that side of, you know, against, she was on the opposite side of Manafort, basically. Okay, here's a little bit of background um, on this Alexandra Trelupa. This is from the New York Post. Um, it says that she's a Ukrainian-American. Um, she was a former Democratic National Committee contractor and a staffer who dug up dirt on the Trump campaign with help from Ukrainian officials. Um, so that was basically her position. She, she, she dug up dirt on Trump for the Hillary Clinton pam- campaign. Right. And so that's what I'm saying about the, the dirt that they have to deal with with Biden and this lady is like counteracting it's almost going to be like well we're both dirty so i mean it's just a big convoluted mess but yes they're both camps are dirty like that's literally what i'm going to come down to on this whole thing is that both camps are dirty and what they took was a country who is actually in a serious has been in a serious heap of shit ukraine's been in a serious heap of shit now for you know the last 20 years and 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 basically what's happened is the republicans took the pro-russian side and the democrats took the pro-ukrainian side and like i said trump's dealings with these russian oligarchs go clear back into the 90s and i'm sorry but you can't tell me that if people uh businessmen from russia who who helped had helped him out and bought his properties to kind of give his pocket a boost and he made friends with those people and alliances with those people that that's not going to influence him in politics I'm sorry I don't believe that I think it did influence him and I think that Trump's mentality and a lot of the Republicans are kind of like you know it's like all about business man it's about you know like Giuliani like it's all about business it's about getting things done it's about scratch my back and I'll scratch yours and that's the whole mentality and it's like but that shouldn't convey over into like issues of national security and that's the really pathetic and sad part of this whole thing is that both sides were more concerned about what they could get out of it politically than they were about anybody in ukraine and i feel like these people that are coming in to testify right now have been there on the ground they've been living it they've seen it and so i don't think that they have a bias but the political operatives that are working with them you know like for example um Taylor testified that, you know, and several of them testified that they told Zelensky, do not get involved in a domestic political matter in the United States. And they told Zelensky that because what it's going to come down to is when you make a friend with somebody at work and you think it's okay that you made friends with them, all the people at work that hate that person now hate you too. Because the enemy of my enemy is my friend and vice versa. Right. So, um... They didn't want Zelensky to get involved in it. I think these career politicians have told, they've worked over various Republican and Democratic presidents. These are the people that the right wing likes to call the, quote, deep state, the people that don't change when administrations go in and out. Well, that's a good thing. Right, yeah, exactly. Because they should actually be focused on what is best for the United States and what is best for the Ukrainians, not what is best for Hillary Clinton or what is best for Donald Trump. But we've politicized everything so anyways a lot of my um other research you can look up uh 
on these oligarchs. I mean, there's so much information out there. I can never cover it all. But uh, there is a really funny podcast called The Dancing Oligarchs, and it talks about some of the more colorful contacts that um, Trump has had with some of these people. Um, and like I said, The Daily Beast has like the Dirty Dozen, which is a list of some of these people and their backgrounds. But uh, And like I said, Manafort, he was Trump's ch uh, campaign ch chairperson or whatever, and he was deeply involved with these people. Um, Rudy Giuliani actually being the mayor of New York met some of the ones that came to New York and you know they uh, liked, e liked each other a couple of them um, so let's see here I'm trying to look up what his official title was Paul Manafort he chaired the Trump presidential campaign team from June to August yeah, he didn't last very long right yeah Trump liked to bring that up because he was said he would say well he didn't work for me for very long and I didn't really <laughs> of course um okay so let me just really quick now go through um the 2000s in ukraine because a lot of stuff happened in the 2000s so they had a revolution in um they had a bunch of elections that were extremely contentious like i mentioned in 2004 the candidate was uh poisoned the pro-ukrainian president uh, person running for president was poisoned and almost died Yushchenko, um, and it was believed that obviously the the, the Russians were behind that. So, um, and then the elections were in con the elections were contested because there was a lot of allegations of ballot stuffing, and you know, uh, just on the mostly on the pro-Russian side, they were saying they were completely cheating. So they actually had the Supreme Court in Ukraine did a did a, a recall. They just redid the election over. And um, the, the guy that was poisoned, Yushchenko, actually became the president. Okay, so then from 2004 to 2010, um, you have Paul Manafort over there. He's working. He's making business deals with some of these um, Russian, pro-Russian Ukrainians, business deals, and also helping to advise them in politics. He was lobbying. Manafort was doing a lot of stuff in Ukraine. Um all on the pro-Russian side. And at that time, the uh, Ukrainians, the pro-Russian Ukrainians looked at um, the influence of Americans as being kind of like hegemonies, like wanting to kind of control the world and Europe. They, they didn't want Ukraine to be sucked into the US, British, and what they see as like controlling like the whole world. They wanted to still be the, the pro-Russian Ukrainians wanted to keep Ukraine like with Russia. They didn't want it to be part of Europe or America's empire. And they were against the war in Iraq. So that helped to kind of create a divide there. Um, and then in 2010, uh, the guy who lost in 2004, Yanukovych, he actually wins. And when he wins, he locks up one of his political rivals. <laughs> His name is Yulia Timochenko, and if you look her up, she's really, I mean, I, I find her amazing, beautiful, passionate, uh, pro-Ukrainian politician. He had her locked up for corruption, and I just, when I, when I read that part of the history of everything, I was like, wow, lock her up. Hmm, wonder where I got that idea from. So he locks up Timochenko, um, and then in 2013, Yanukovych says that he's going 
to go away from the EU and he's going to start taking the taking Ukraine to a kind of more pro-Russian uh, bond and that causes big riots because the ma majority of Ukrainians don't want to be under Russia um, and so they looked at it like the influence of all these really wealthy uh, pro-Russian elements were like taking over their country and uh, they bought up some media stations. They were putting out a lot of propaganda. I mean, it was a very in-depth, concerted effort to try and create, like, you know, when they talk about it here in our country, how you got, you know, the media is becoming extremely polarized. And, you know, you got the Rupert Murdoch Fox News. And then you got, you know what I mean? It's like the media is splitting us and dividing us into two distinct camps. You had that in Ukraine. And Manafort was on the pro-Russian side of it. So then go into... Um, Where was he born? Manafort? Manafort? I think he was born in the United States. So what is he doing over there involved in all that? Well, he's a lobbyist. And I think he started out basically being a United States... One of the things he got in trouble for while he's in jail is because he failed to register as a foreign lobbyist so he was in the country basically lobbying politicians here on behalf of you know ukrainian businessmen and he didn't tell the government he was doing that so then he's working for the trump campaign later and that all kind of comes out because you know i don't know there's like conflict of interest shit like you know there are certain things you have to declare on paper that you're doing and he didn't do that so um so in 2013, you have the Maidan protests, which are the pro-Ukrainians rising up saying, we don't want to be under Russia, you know, uh, Yanukovych has to go. And um, the pro-Ukrainian candidate was Petro Poroshenko. Um, so he came, he came out and was talking about he was going to, you know, uh, run for office or whatever. And then at the same time, it's 2013 now, Trump is in Russia doing the Miss Universe or Miss World pageant, whatever it was. So he's in Russia. He's talking to Russian businessmen there about maybe opening a Trump Moscow. So, you know, like I said, he, this all has to go to our politicians here end up lining up with the pro-Russia, pro-Ukrainian sides of that divide. And in um, 2013 as well, there were protests across Russia against Vladimir Putin there were a lot of um, gay rights activists who were you know upset if you remember uh, Vladimir Putin said he wasn't going to let uh, gay athletes participate in the Olympics he was starting to crack down on um, civil liberties over there so um, and Hillary Clinton um, you know spoke out against that and you know Vladimir Putin pretty much felt like the protest in his country against him had to be motivated by an outside force because you know he's so lovable that nobody would actually protest against him unless they were being paid then again the united states does have a long and dirty history of interfering in other people's politics so he felt like all these protests were being instigated by the united states by the by hillary um that she was behind that so you can kind of see like where the putin hates hillary loves trump thing started like in 2013. So then 
in uh, 2014, Yanukovych was forced out. The protest basically continued on until like around February, they forced him out of office. He, he ended up fleeing the country um, because the protest got to the point where um, the police forces opened fire and killed some of the protesters. So he ended up fleeing the country. And at that point, Putin claimed that he invaded Crimea to protect the ethnic Russians from basically getting re retaliated against. That was his excuse for like invading. So he invades Crimea and, um, you know, so there's, there's all this going on. And then at the same time, there was a telephone call, which it's believed was intercepted by the Russians and recorded, which was later released on YouTube. And you can still <laughs> go to YouTube and find it. But um, it's Victoria Newland, who was the assistant secretary of state. I believe that was her title. And um, Jeff Pyatt. And they're basically having a conversation where when you listen to it, it sounds like they're just deciding who is going to be in charge of Ukraine politically. So um, one of the more popular candidates over there, uh, he's actually a, a world-renowned boxer, um, Klitschko. Uh, he and his brother are both boxers, but he was really up there in the popularity um, to maybe fill this power void after um, uh, Yanukovych fled the country. But in this phone call, you know, you hear her and, and uh, Pyatt talking like, yeah, well, Klitschko, he needs to be on the outside and we want Yatsenyuk to be in the government. And so this telephone call is put out there and Putin's like, see, see, the United States is, they're running the show. It's not even up to the Ukrainian people. It's not a democracy. You have these world uh, powers, uh, you know, behind the scenes puppets pulling the strings. And I mean, it did look that way. It was an extremely damning phone call that came out. So... Um, and then you come up to, okay, that brings us up to, you know, the, the run up to the 2016 elections. And Trump was making comments that, you know, he didn't know if he was going to contest Russia being in Crimea. Now, Obama had slapped a bunch of sanctions on Putin. Remember, they kicked him out of the G8. It became the G7. The whole t entire world was like, this is unacceptable that Russia invaded Crimea. This is completely Russian aggression, unacceptable. So, you know, Obama did everything he could do about it. And then Trump is talking like, well, maybe if I become president, you know, maybe the Ukrainians want to be part of Russia. <laughs> so he was already being becoming on the anti-Ukrainian side, pro-Russia anti, you know what I'm saying? So what you're seeing kind of play out here has been a long, long, long history Democrats and Republicans. Now, the only other thing I want to bring up is that, um, before the actual testimony, was that one of the big players in the testimony was, uh, was Marie Yovanovitch. And she was the former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine who Trump, you know, called back from Ukraine allegedly because she had said some negative things about him. And, you know, there's this kind of be a story about why she was removed and when she was being cross-examination by examined I guess by the Republicans if you want to call it cross-examination you know they were making a big deal out of the fact that um, she was brought back by Trump long before any of this other uh, stuff happened so uh, the, but the reason that she was called back is important and nobody is really talking about it so 
Rudy Giuliani was friends with, cohort, whatever you want to call it, involved with these two uh, pro-Russian Ukrainians by the name of Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman. And just before the midterm elections in 2018, uh, Giuliani was taking these two individuals to, around to all these Republican um, campaign events, and they were donating really heavy to Republicans and to, uh, they donated $325,000 to Trump's campaign. And I don't know what happened to that money because it was illegally donated. Because what it was found out was that they were, they had created a shell company and they were funneling money from a foreign national who is not named in the Department of Justice indictment against them. It just calls the person Foreign National One. Um, they're both the both of these guys are Soviet-born Florida real estate businessmen, um, and so they were going around to all these Republican events, donating money illegally illegally through a shell company. Now, whether what Julie, was the company's name? Does it say the company's name was called Global Energy Producers? But if you actually go to OpenSecrets.org, which lists all donors and who they donated to, Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman are on there donating to all these Republicans. Big money going to all these Republicans, including Trump. So uh, it's unknown who they were funneling. I mean, I'm sure the Department of Justice knows, but in the in the indictment, it just calls. Uh, person foreign national one okay and then um, they also gave money to a republican who is not named but is called congressman one and it says uh in may of june of 2018 parnas and fruman committed uh, committed to raise twenty thousand dollars for a then sitting u.s congressman congressman one at around that same time parnas met with congressman one and sought congressman one's assistance in causing the u.s government to remove or recall the then U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. So these guys are running around donating all kind of money to Republicans and saying, hey, can you get rid of this lady over there? Which ended up happening, right? Which ended up happening. Yeah, I thought so. And they were, of course, going around with Rudy Giuliani, who was going on Fox News and telling all of these lies about Yovanovitch, saying that she had a do not prosecute list and that she was, I mean, basically calling this lady corrupt. And they ran her into the ground. And, um, you know, Giuliani was in Trump's ear telling him all this stuff about her, that she's back, she's over there talking behind his back and, you know, whatever. So, but, but my thing is, you know, all of this is being made a big deal of that it is a big deal that Trump was holding military aid from the Ukrainians in exchange for his investigating Biden. Like, that's bad enough. But now, under this DOJ indictment, which you can go to the website and read for yourself, if you just go to the DOJ and type in their search, Lev Parnas, it'll come up. Here you have a direct connection between a foreign national giving money through a shell company to Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman, donating to Republicans with the expressed interest of having Yovanovitch, who was over there fighting corruption, removed. So why do they want this lady removed? Obviously because they have plans to do corrupt business and they know that she won't go along with it. 
So to me, that's just as big a deal, and it's kind of not really been brought up. They did ask Yovanovitch in her testimony, do you know who left Partis Nigra Froman are? And she said no. That's all that I've heard of it. Um, but I just think that there's so much corruption going on. And like I said, Hillary Clinton, as far as her side of the Ukrainian thing, she did have this uh, Chalupa DNC person that was she was over there trying to, I don't know if you want to call it like, I mean, Manafort was working for pro-Russian elements over there. And so when she's trying to bring that out as part of a corruption issue with the Republicans, it kind of was. Yeah, which I mean, they adamantly deny that that's what she was doing there. But, you know, we all know that. Right. So what I'm saying is you've got two dirty sides, both doing business for themselves. Although I think the Republicans' business is a lot more financially motivated because of the gas industry. Now, one more thing about Ukraine. So the gas industry in Ukraine, there are a few gas companies, but in Russia, the one gas, main gas company is Gazprom, and they have a pipeline that runs through Ukraine and supplies like one-fourth of all the natural gas for Europe, mm. okay? So when the pro-Ukrainians, when all the Ukrainians rose up against the Russians, uh, Russia shut the tap off in February. <laughs> So, and they said that the, the Ukrainians were skimming gas out of the line for their own domestic uses. There's all this issue there, but I'm saying when you've got a lot of money, a lot of people with a lot of money and a lot of conflicted interest in an area, it's a lot, it's in the weeds. It's in the weeds big time. But I think the Democrats would have done themselves a bigger favor by admitting that they would look into Joe Biden and what happened. Because everybody's been saying like, Oh, that's been investigated, and that's just a—it's just a, a conspiracy theory. Is it a conspiracy theory? Because my question is, what was he getting paid to do over there? He has no experience in the gas industry, um, and he's basically getting paid fifty to eighty thousand—I mean, I've heard different amounts—a month to be on the board of directors at this gas company. Like, what are you doing there? And it, it, it is a question because were that was that gas company not being investigated because people were saying, well, listen, like, let's, like, let's not mess with that company because, you know, the vice president of the United States, like his son's on the board of that company. Like, seriously, that's screwed up. He never should have been there. And now Joe Biden's saying, well, in retrospect, you know, I see why it looks like it could have been something even though it wasn't. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I would pass a law if I become president that that wouldn't be allowed. Well, thanks, Joe you know, after the fact. So, um, but as far as the testimony, I mean, I found the witnesses to be really credible and the few little glitches I had as far as like, for example, they asked Vindeman why he didn't go through the chain of command because he's a military guy, right? So they're like, well, why did you not go to Morrison, who was his direct supervisor? Why did you go to the lawyers and tell them, that you had concerns about this being a quid pro quo. And Vindman kind of, you can tell when he's answering, there's like some hesitation there. But I think the reason is because Morrison, he believed that Morrison was in on the whole thing. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So if you're at a company and your boss, you believe your boss is involved in some kind of scam, are you going to go report to your boss that you feel like you've discovered a scam? No, you're not going to do that because you, 
to me, that makes sense. Now, like Sondland, Sondland, he got his job as an ambassador to the EU, basically, because he's a hotelier like Trump, and he gave Trump a $100,000 donation, and sometimes that'll get you, you know, an ambassadorship. Yeah, it'll give you, get you on the board somewhere, huh? Exactly. So, you know, so that's how he kind of got in the, in the, into that job. He has no experience, okay? Um, and so when the Republicans made a big deal about the first round of interviews being done behind closed doors, and they were acting like it was some big secret, oh, it's a big Soviet-style secret hearing and all this nonsense you're hearing. When you're doing an investigation and you're going to interview witnesses, you don't want one witness to know what the other witness has said because it, they could change their testimony so their stories line up. I don't know anybody without the common sense to realize that you can't conduct open, you know, inquiries. The first round of interviews can't be public because people will change up their shit. So what happened with Sondland was they interviewed the first two people um, and Sondland's story didn't match. So they were all there on at a different events and Sondland's story was the only one that wasn't lining up. So they know somebody's lying. So when they called Sondland back in and were like, listen, we, we know for a fact that this phone call happened and you were on it with the president. And then he's like, oh, suddenly my memory's better, right? Because he doesn't want to get a perjury charge slapped on him. So he left, he left it out and said he didn't remember stuff. But then when he was faced with the fact that two other people said, yeah, this happened, he was, it was something like, being on a phone call with the president a couple months ago over a serious matter is not something that you're just going to forget. It's just going to go out of your head. So it's pretty clear he was lying. And so he amended his testimony and admitted that he was on the phone call with the president. And the president did ask about the investigations. And, you know, that whole thing came out. And, so, you know, still the Republicans are denying it, saying that it doesn't mean anything because, you know, uh, Trump didn't directly say this or say that. But, I mean... It's a mountain of evidence that all, you know, like uh, one of the Democrats who was doing the questioning said, um, you know, if somebody comes in from, from outside and they have an umbrella and a raincoat and rain boots and there's water dripping off of them, do you really have to look outside to see if it's raining? I mean, that's how obvious this was to everybody, that this aid that was approved by Congress that is like a yearly renewable thing doesn't show up and it's going on it's going on it's going this went on for 55 days and it's going on and the people that the these diplomats that are testifying are people that are there like in the ukrainians are like hey what's what's going on with the aid you know we don't what's what's happening is something wrong like why are we not getting you know this this aid so none of them had any answer because they didn't realize it was being held up so that Trump could get what he wanted. But then the more Giuliani talked about it, the more he put the pressure on, the more obvious it became to people that, oh, so this delay is directly related to, okay, we get you. Now, uh, Volcker is in the camp of, well, I didn't realize until like the last minute. <laughs> Like some people are trying to be like, you know, I, I didn't realize it was contingent upon like, 
they're trying to save themselves a little bit there. I think they probably did know that Trump put a hold on this money and that he was waiting for something. But, but in their defense, it did kind of change because the first phone call he has with Zelensky, he says nothing about, um, you know, any investigation. He doesn't say anything. Even though his the people have prepared notes for him, uh, uh, Vindman prepared the notes saying, listen, these are the things we work on with Ukraine on a regular basis. They do have to deal with corruption, da, da, da. <clears throat> so they had a list of things for Trump to say to Zelensky. He said none of that stuff. So they were like, okay, well, that was dumb. Yeah, well, right on cue. Right. For old Trump. But then the second call, he mentions investigating Biden. Well, that was after Biden entered the race. So if you look at the timing of it, it kind of makes sense. It, it, it makes a lot of sense that he didn't ask because the Republicans keep going back to, well, look, he had the first phone call with him. He never said anything about it. Well, Biden was, hadn't entered the race at that point. And then the same thing about the release of the aid. They keep def- using as a defense that, oh, the, you know, when they're, question- when they're cross-examining all these witnesses, they keep saying, well, you say it was a quid pro quo, but... The Ukrainians got the aid, didn't they? Yes. Did any of these meetings or, or requirements that they were supposed to, that they were being demanded that they do, these investigations, was any of that done? No. But they got the aid, right? Well, what they're leaving out is the fact that Trump got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. Right, yeah. I mean, just because, uh, you know, you reach your hand in a cookie jar and someone slams the lid on your hand and you drop it and don't get anything doesn't mean that you didn't put your hand in there. Right, and so that's right. pretty much what happened. I mean, you could listen to the hours and hours and hours of t- testimony. Truly, a lot of it was repeating over and over and over again. The same. They were just making them repeat the same things over and over. <laughs> I don't know if it's because they think people don't have time to sit there and watch the entire thing, which a lot of people don't, so they want to make sure that you, you know, I just think in any kind of uh, legal proceedings, they just try to be extraordinarily clear about every little right. detail. Like, And another super annoying thing that I found when I was watching it was that the Republicans were making so many speeches that ha- there was no questioning about it. And I don't think they should be allowed to do that. You're there for the purpose of, you know, asking questions to get information about the incident that occurred. So I don't think either side should be allowed to just sit there and make completely politically motivated speeches. But, you know, the Republicans had nothing else. They had they have no defense, really, um, because they can say whatever they want to say about the evidence, but it, the evidence is there. And so they went into, um, goodness, they went into the Mueller, the Mueller hoax, the witch hunt of the Mueller report, and that didn't work, and they're trying to bring this president down, and I mean, it was really kind of embarrassing for them. That yeah, they... the only thing I saw about that, um, they were all making all these little snarky comments when that, um, what's his name, Nunes? Nunes? Devin Nunes. Devin Nunes, yeah, that he called uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vinman. he called him Mr. Vinman, and uh, Vinman stopped him, like, right in his tracks and was like, that's uh, Lieutenant Lieutenant Colonel Vinman mm-hmm. to you. you know oh, I know. I mean? And like, all the late night talk shows were like, oh, bring in a medic. We got yeah, serious right. burns. Yeah, that's, I feel like that's why I saw it. I think Trevor Noah or some, someone said something about it on Twitter. And I was like, oh, here's the next meme. Like, here it right. is. Like, And then normally, like, I would feel kind of like that was an arrogant thing to do if, if I didn't know the whole story. So 
I feel like that's ignorant anyway. You know what I mean? Like if somebody's a doctor or something, like you call them doctor. Like I don't, right. I don't understand. Why would you not? Right. I mean, people would be pissed off if someone addressed Trump just just as Trump. You know, oh, I mean, they get heated face. about that. They get like, heated about they're that. They're called Mr. President. Like, exactly. But then you're going to slam this guy? I feel like they just, they do all this little shit like that. And it's like, Well, the Sean, Sean Hannity, which who I despise, but I watch him because I feel like I need to keep an eye on the, the totally insane part of the, the Republican Party. You got to make sure they're not organizing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, like I watch, I keep an eye on hate groups and the kind of propaganda they're putting out and how effective it is because... It's really scary when you get people that are that detached from reality. But um, so Laura Ingram and Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity, the pro-Trump brigade, um, were actually like saying that they question whether Vindman was actually a loyal American because, you know, uh, he was born in the Ukraine and he came here you know, with his family, but he wasn't born here, and he speaks Ukrainian. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God. Like, we employ him to deal with Ukrainians. I mean, I know it's like a religious thing for the right wing that you not ever speak any English or any language but English, or as they might say, American. American yeah. <laughs> like, it's so disloyal to your country to speak another language. Like, oh. Yeah, it's crazy how, like, oh, my God, they're just... So they called this guy out. They're they terrified. Called, they called this guy out and had the nerve to question his loyalty as an American, which they do with anybody who, who says Trump's got a hair out of place. They will call you, not, you're not an American. If you don't defend, if you're not part of the Trump cult, if you criticize Trump in any way, you just get the entire beat down, like the most severe beat down <laughs> that you could possibly get for the slightest offense against their leader. Like, that's just how they are. But, so I kind of understand why Vinman like, snapped back at him like that because this guy was wounded in Iraq and his his vehicle was blown up by an I, I and what do you say? IUD. <laughs> Improvised explosive IUD device. There you IED. go. IED. Yeah, IUD is your birth control thing. <laughs> I know, and every time I go to say uh, IED, I'm like, I'm afraid I'm going to say it wrong. Oh, good. I did it for you. There you go. Yeah, IED. So. <laughs> so we've been here for like, I feel like three hours. Yeah. <laughs> for bad, this is, but yeah. But yeah, so he was, he's a wounded American veteran, and you're attacking him. Which is because... crazy, too, because then they like hail Trump, like Mr. President Burns, Bonespurs or whatever, like <sighs> draft dodger, like whatever. So, in the end, I'm going to say that, and this has been my theory, and I'm just going to throw it out there, is that, you know, Trump went to the hospital. No, I didn't see this. Trump went Did to the hospital. Did he tweet all the way there? <laughs> oh, God, no. Or his thumb's broken off? Um, <laughs> he could have went for severe, like, strain of his thumb joints or whatever from tweeting so much. But no, he, he had this unexplained trip to Walter Reed or whatever hospital I think it was Walter Reed where they take the president when he's gravely like he needs something bad they took him there right and his peeps passed this off as it was just for a checkup but like inside the White House there's like a medical room that has equipment and like they can draw blood there they can do a lot of like 
just normal testing stuff so they don't have to do a big thing if the president well i mean you know hold on maybe maybe trump accidentally gave one of those jobs to his kid or something that's actually not a doctor so (laughs) so they had to go to a real hospital i mean that's possible maybe he put baron down there in like a a doogie hauser deal or something he's got a little doc mcstuffin coat on (laughs) and he's like yeah (laughs) you never know melania's down there posing for another playboy magazine in a hot nurse costume ew Oh, why did I say that? Because <laughs> that's probably what's going on. Nasty. But anyhow, so he goes to the hospital. And I, I had told somebody that, you know, I thought Trump was not going to be in the 2020 elections. And they were like, oh, no, you know, he'll never let go of the grip he has on the office. He loves being president. Unless he has a heart like, attack, I mean. Well, but here's my thing. Like, talking about the Nixon moment, okay? Nixon had his moment where all these Republicans that were like, listen, dude, like, we had your back, but too much shit's come out now. We got to save ourselves and save the party. We're going to have to cut the dead weight, so just you have to resign. Because if you don't resign, there's enough of us in agreement. We're going to impeach your ass. So Nixon resigned. So, I mean, yes, he was impeached, but he got out of it by resigning. And then he was pardoned, so nothing happened to him. And I think that, you know, the Republicans, depending on how successfully they feel they're playing this whole this is a hoax too um they're devising their backup plan is that what you're going on about no and and yes and i and i think that and i said to somebody quite a while ago that i thought that trump might fake a medical issue yeah so that strategy so that he could save face because he's an extremely like ego he's an egomaniac right and people are like he'll never quit because he won't admit that he's gonna lose and i'm like no but if it's for a medical reason he can save face and look like a victim and he loves to look like a victim exactly yep so that would be like the perfect way and then he went to the hospital and i was like oh i feel my conspiracy theory coming true mm-hmm. it's a premonition but i felt kind of bad because remember when bernie had his like heart issue and he went to the hospital and got a stint yeah like i was thinking that trump was gonna feign this feign a heart attack and i told somebody because it came out that the whistleblower might be a CIA agent, right? Which you know how much I hate the CIA. Right. But that was what the, you know, I don't know if it's rumors or if it's been confirmed that it's somebody in the intelligence community that was inside the White House. So why they were there, what they were doing there, I don't know. But I, it's been suggested it's a CIA agent. And I guess the complaint, the whistleblower complaint came from the CIA so it's believed that the person who made the complaint is a CIA agent. So as much as I despise the CIA for all of the horrible, like, unforgivable things they've done, I could see them going to Trump and saying, listen, you can fake a heart attack or we can give you one. It's your choice. Like, I could see the CIA playing dirty ball like that. Like, maybe they're going this impeachment route to try and say, look, we've got enough dirt to yeah, get rid well, of what, you. What's the big game there? I mean, why would the CIA want, you know, Trump out? It's hard to say because there are so many, the CIA's done I mean, so he's not, many. He's not doing anything so ridiculously crazy. I mean, he's not pulling a JFK. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's not trying to do anything so wildly. Uh, Good? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, usually it seems like the CIA, I mean, if you believe in, you know, conspiracy theories. Um, CIA usually comes in and fucking puts a stop on things when they're about to change for the better. Like, Right. The CIA, in my opinion, is everything that they've done has been for the furtherance of corporate interests. Right, yes, I would right? agree. 
So the only way that they would be going, like I've worried that if Bernie gets in there, he's going to get assassinated mm-hmm. because I believe he actually is like JFK. He's going to try to actually do yes. some, make some real changes. I believe the same exact thing. And he's said before he doesn't believe we should be involved in so many military expansionist empire building all that kind of stuff so he would definitely be on the opposite side of the cia now as far as trump i can't really say why i mean he's lining up with i mean the other pr- than maybe he's just like a loose cannon and they can't control what he does and i don't know well that's possible i, I mean because i do truly believe that i do believe that I, I don't know what it is about him maybe it is the fact that he's like an egomaniac and he just truly believes that he can do whatever he want but i mean I feel like right now he's playing into the hands of certain people, but only because he wants to. I mean, I think if tomorrow he decided that the Democrats had something better to offer, that he would 100% turn his back on everything he's done so far. There's, like, mm-hmm. no doubt in my mind that he's, he's like, does what he wants. Mm-hmm. So Well, and the other thing that makes me confused about it is that if the CIA is behind it, you know, I don't know if you know about this Q phenomena QAnon. Yeah, we talked about this last week. Okay, so the QAnon cult that's going on, I believe that that's a psyop that was created. Now, whether it was created by the, I, I thought originally it was created by the CIA, but then I got to thinking maybe it was Steve Bannon who created mm-hmm. it so that he Makes could sense. either flip a switch and make all these Q cult people vote for Trump or against Trump. Like he's really the person in control because he's in control of these people who are sitting on his every word. So if the CIA, though, had created Q, all they'd have to do is tell people, okay, don't vote for Trump. It's part of the big plan. Right. These people wouldn't vote for Trump. Like, they're that seduced into this cult that they will do whatever the QAnon person tells them to do. Like, they literally believe that the Robert Mueller investigation was actually Trump and Mueller were working together to secretly indict Hillary Clinton. <laughs> yeah, I've read, I've seen a couple of their uh, nonsense memes on like people's Facebook profiles that like have pictures of Trump and there's like the big Q on his back or whatever, but they are also accompanied by pictures of like Jesus Christ's body with Trump's head on it. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, like it's He's so fine. far out there. It's so like they, cause they do have, they developed this philosophy that God sent Trump here to save yeah, the that's country. Yeah, that's a, the, it's this lady's whole profile that I saw those pictures on. Right. Like, it started out just as Q being a person inside the Trump administration who was leaking stuff out to the real patriots in the country secretly because it had to be covert that if if the time came when patriots needed to rise up, they would be the people that would, would rise up. That's what it started out as, and then it kind of snowballed into all these other things. And so I, I went back to check on like the status of what was going on with it because I wanted to see, like, how are they, you know, reading are all they this dealing stuff? with this? <laughs> because Hillary didn't get locked up. Like, right. the whole thing was the Mueller was working with Trump against Hillary, and, like, the Mueller investigation's over, Hillary's not in jail. Like, are you guys questioning this bullshit at all, like, yet? Let me guess. No, they're not questioning <laughs> it at all. <laughs> so I went back, and I started looking at, like, some of these videos on YouTube, and it's somebody saying, okay, now we're going to look at Donald Trump's tweet from... Uh, October the 24th. Now, this would timestamp at 2.14 in the afternoon, which is 14.14 military time. So 14.14, if you calculate that out, comes out to be, and it's like all this numerology shit, and then they're like, and that means this word, and he capitalized, this word is in all caps. So if you take the numerological, what those letters add up to, it also comes out to be the word revolt. Like six different words that it could also be, and I'm like, what the... 
it's it's la la land at this point i can't even follow it as far as it is is what the hell their directive is now it's kind of scary but yeah that's some wacko shit that's like some uh jim's jones kool-aid type shit yeah i mean wow that's insane but anyway um to get back to the point you said they trump they took trump to the hospital and i mean what ended up coming of all of that I mean, they're brushing it off like it was just for some routine medical shit, which everybody kind of thinks that's not true. But he looks, you know, I have noticed that in the last couple of weeks when he's been in front of the camera, like, for example, when he was with the Turkish, with Erdogan giving a press conference, he looked like he was drugged. He Hmm. was like super spaced out. And he just was really like he, he was so calm and just like now and now you see him, he's back to like screaming it over the helicopter at reporters. But for a little while there, he was looking strange. So I don't know. Like I said, I don't. We were kind of all talking about that um, on the other on the other podcast I do on the Mima Suprema show that we were all laughing about the White House uh, Halloween trip and Trump like puts the chocolate bar on top of this <laughs> kid's head. It's like, like what? Yeah. And, but we were kind of talking about that because like what the fuck like are you just it's like it is like somebody's old grandpa like if you walked up to some random person's house and the old grandpa put a chocolate bar on top of this clearly inflatable character that has no feeling and that inflated part of their costume um you'd be like oh grandpa it's time for bed like you know what i mean but then then they were like it was a joke melania follows suit she just like literally does the exact same thing like tap 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 and just puts it on his head but we were all talking about that how he just seemed like you know, zoned out, just like looking around. I'll have to burp, check burp, and burp, see burp. if that's been mentioned on the QAnon post that that was significant somehow. That he was signaling three taps. Because, no, listen, because the Easter Bunny. Three taps on top of the minion head. It's a minion. That's, that's yes. significant oh. for some reason. <laughs> oh, it represents Hillary, Hillary's minions. There you go. We're going to double tap him. There you go. It's, it's an assassination boop, boop, boop. plot. He there double you tapped a minion. That's Hillary's minion, so you got to kill him. Yep. That's the message. Something. I don't know. He seemed really spaced out, though, and it was weird, which, I mean, I don't know. It could just be because in the media, most of the time, he just seems like so animated. He's always like jerking his head back and forth like this, and like you know, using his hands to do the. Yeah, he, yeah. He's like always really animated, and he just seemed like really just subdued, spaced out, spaced out. So I don't know. It was, it, we were talking about that though. It's weird. I mean, I don't know that it's related at all. It's just similar conversation. Well, you know, they had. self they say cell phone use can be severely addictive because you, it gives you a do- dopamine boost when you get so. And he's an extreme narcissist, and he's on Twitter all hours of the day and night like the man never sleeps between watching fox news and twittering and taking a dump i don't know how he gets anything else done literally and so maybe he's just like sleep deprived but it has there has been some kind of weird thing with his demeanor i mean he's like in his 70s so i mean that could just play a part too he's not right. active at all right he's overweight yeah uh, well his doctor said he was in perfect health okay, well, we know that's true <laughs> so <laughs> oh but i was gonna say about the easter bunny so one of the earlier Q things was that when Trump had the Easter Bunny at the White House, um, Q had told the followers, it rambled on some a whole bunch of like like not disconnected nonsense, okay? But he used the word tippy top. The Q guy did now, okay? Tippy top. So Trump, when he was there with the Easter Bunny, said everything at the White House is ready for the Easter egg hunt. Everything's in tip, tippy top shape. And oh my God, it was confirmation. Oh Q God. was in communication with the president. He told the president to say tippy top, and then he put tippy top on his thing. So that proves this. And I'm like, 
Good Lord. You could like literally just watch what Trump says and he repeats the same words like huge and bigly and like he says like the same words. He doesn't have a very large vocabulary. So how hard is it to pick (laughs) a word and wait for the shit to come out of his mouth? Like that's hardly a prediction. That's like me saying, do you want to go to sleep tonight? And like, I think tomorrow when I wake up at some point, the sun's going to come up. Oh my God, I'm a prophet. Like, (laughs) ridiculous. So anyway, uh, I guess... I'll just close with, unless you have any other questions you wanted to ask about the testimony, something you heard. Well, how many more days is this supposed to go on? Um, I believe they've wrapped it up today. So that's it? Yes. And then they will draft up, um, if they, of course, I believe they're going to draft up articles of impeachment, which the articles of impeachment will outline the specific high crimes and misdemeanors they feel that the president has committed. It's kind of like- the president or anyone? No, I believe it would just be the president at this point. Um, they would, they would, uh, that would be like a, a grand jury basically given an indictment and saying this, there's enough evidence for this to go to trial. So who, I mean, if they bring up charges against him, who is the, the prosecutor in that situation? Well, one of the misleading things that the Republicans have been doing is to equate this to a trial. And it, although it does in some ways resemble a trial it does not follow the legal you know requirements of trial so all of the democrats in the house are acting as the prosecutor they've brought this charge that trump has committed these offenses and the republicans are acting as the defense attorney basically okay yeah so they each make an opening statement and they get the interview the witnesses, then they get to cross-examine and they get to readdress. So that part is similar to a trial. But when they write up the articles of impeachment and hand it over to the Senate, that's like a grand jury returning a true bill, which means there is enough evidence to go on to an actual trial. Okay. So this is just an impeachment. So say that all happens and it goes to the Senate. Um, Do you really think they're actually, you know, going to go forward? And that point you think the Senate's going to do that? They have, a, they have a couple of options. They could just, Mitch McConnell could call for a quick vote and just say, let's just dispense of this. It's all BS. There's nothing here. And take a quick vote, and, and that would be it. Um, and then they would have to live with the consequences, which is, I think, why they were putting up such kicking and screaming fight about this even going into an impeachment hearing because they knew if it got this far the Democrats would toss it over to the Senate and then they would have to live with the consequences of their vote. Which for somebody like Lindsey Graham, who's in a heavy Trump area, that's fine. He can vote, yeah, this is all BS and vote for to save Trump. And he's not going to get any kickback. But there are some areas where these Republicans are in a kind of 50-50, it's a purple area they're in. So they could have negative consequences for them if they just vote no right off the bat. But so they have to have majority vote on this. Right. And the Senate is majority Republican right now. Yes. So to proceed to the actual impeachment trial, they have to have the majority vote, yes, we want a trial. Well, that's kind of my whole point is that if it's a majority of Republicans in the Senate and it comes down to their vote to move forward, which was my understanding, that just nothing's going to come of it. Well, I mean, and that was partly that was partly the justification behind Nancy Pelosi him hauling so much on any of the times that people said, "Look, Trump needs impeached." Like 
impeachment has been brought up multiple times over multiple things that he's done. And Nancy Pelosi kept saying she wasn't even considering impeachment. She wasn't even considering impeachment. She says because she doesn't want to tear the country apart. I say because she doesn't want her party to have to do anything that's going to jeopardize their chances in the next election. It's all about holding on to power. Right. Like, do the fucking ethical thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, do I what know. back and forth on that. Do what the law says that yeah, you which have I mean, to do. If they, yeah, and they follow that route, and here we are. But if they know, nothing is going to come right. Of it either and that's way. What, and even even a lot of Democrats were like, "Well, we understand Nancy, why Nancy Pelosi is not doing it because a, it's going to die in the Senate anyway. Right. So why risk the political ramifications of an impeachment trial only to have it killed as soon as it gets to the Senate?" It, it's not worth the political risk. But my thing is, stop calculating political risk. Yeah, I mean, I see that do side too. Do your freaking job. You're put in there to do your job and to act in the best interest of the American people. So don't get on news, the news and nonstop say, well, the president, the president's a criminal. The president's corrupt. The president's, and then, then do something about it or shut up. Like my thing is, if you're, why are you kicking and screaming about it? Because if you really cared about it, you would use the power that you have to do something so finally she's done something now what i heard today was that the republicans want a trial that they want an actual trial Hmm. so that's a twist (laughs) what a twist i Um, mean yes and no because once it goes to the senate side maybe they figure they can they can uh, subpoena some witnesses because if you've listened to any of it you've heard you know, Jim Jordan and Matt Getz and, you know, different people on TV. Matt Getz isn't in this impeachment hearing, but uh, Devin Nunes and a lot of them crying that they want to subpoena witnesses, crying that they're not getting a fair chance to subpoena witnesses. Meanwhile, they're ignoring the fact that the House subpoenaed Rudy Giuliani, uh, Bolton, Pompeo. They've subpoenaed half the Trump administration, and the Trump administration told them, don't go. So all those people are under legally issued subpoena to appear before the House, and they basically said, F you. <laughs> so how are you going to cry about how fair a process is when all the witnesses that have firsthand knowledge of this, I mean, you're telling them not that? to? I don't understand. Well, because the, the government is three equal branches. So the House has complete oversight and, and complete control over the impeachment process, right? So they say, we're, we're impeaching, we're, we're subpoenaing, Giuliani were subpoenaing all these people. Trump is their boss. Right. So he tells them, I said, you don't have to go. So now, what's the other branch of government that decides when the, when the legislative body and the executive body have a conflict? Who decides it? The courts, right? So they took it to court as far as they were going to take it to court to say, for the Supreme Court to say, no, like you have to appear. Right. The Democrats didn't do that. Why didn't they do that? Because their their logic is that Trump would fight it. It would take so long. It would drag the process out so long that the election's going to come up. It's all going to get tangled up in the election. They, they're just saying they don't want to drag it out in court to force Bolton and all these people to appear. And maybe they figure it looks worse for the Republicans that every every possible person who has firsthand knowledge is hiding behind the president's you know, skirt tails. What a bunch of bull. So, but it's, it, I think it'd be good if they have a trial. Yeah, but how long? How long until we know? 
well they were they were asking that today reporters were asking that today like how long is it going to take to draft up you know the actual articles of impeachment I don't think they're going to waste very much time because it's over the holidays and I think they're just going to want to like wrap it up quick and keep it moving because one thing about a prosecution and you know you've been around a lot of lawyers you've been a lot around a lot of defendants if a defense attorney can stall off the prosecution of a of their of their client and put distance between the event that's happened the crime they've committed and their day in court it's better for the defendant right it, time heals all wounds right exactly it lessens right. it so i think the democrats are going to want to move while they feel like they have momentum and so i don't think it's going to take them very long <laughs> maybe a couple days to send it over to the senate and how long it's going to take the senate to get their act together and have an impeachment trial I don't know, but it'll be interesting to see who they call as witnesses because I'm all for all information. I don't think they're. Gonna, I don't think they're going to do a trial personally. I don't know. I guess that's just my prediction. I don't. I don't think they're going to do it, and um, I don't know. I just. I just don't think. Don't you think that they it. worry though that I mean there is a really hardcore base that supports Trump and he literally could shoot somebody in the middle of Fifth Avenue and they'd still vote for him. But I mean, I think there's people that are kind of. Yeah, I mean, I, I know where you're going with this, but I just think that most people do not sit down and do all the research of this or try to understand it on any kind of unbiased level, and it's just going to be really easy for the media to spin it any way they want to, and people will just take that and, and move along. I don't I don't think they're going to. I mean, that's possible. It's, it's really hard to read, so I think that's why you get people that are kind of like wavering as far as, you know, what, what they will do, but... I don't know. I think it would be a good thing if they have a trial just because it would end all of the speculation on the Republicans' part that, well, we didn't get to call this witness and we didn't get to call that. Well, now you're, now's your chance. you got the majority. Any witness you want to call, it's going to get voted that that person's going to appear, except maybe the whistleblower. I don't think they they can, uh, you know, they spend a lot of time whining about that, that they couldn't get the whistleblower subpoenaed to testify, which everything that was in the whistleblower complaint has now been verified independently by other witnesses so they don't need a whistleblower except so trump can try to cut that person's head off like right, that's really yeah. all the only reason they want it but um anyway i just wanted to say at the end here that there was a really good documentary i watched in trying to learn about ukraine and all the things they've they've dealt with in their politics and it's on youtube it's called ukraine revolution and um says the 2004 orange revolution in ukraine was a massive demonstration of people for democracy and against electoral fraud millions of millions braved freezing weather conditions to fight against stolen elections the award-winning film the orange chronicles is a powerfully moving and unique examination of ukraine's orange revolution from the perspective of an intrepid ukrainian american filmmaker director damien kolodi sorry if i didn't say his name right but he goes to Ukraine and he travels all around the country and he talks to, um, you know, pro-Ukrainians. And then he travels into like pro-Russian territory and uh, being an American, they can tell he's an American, I guess, from how he speaks. And um, he speaks Ukrainian, too, but they can tell he's an American. And the one guy is pretty much telling him, like, you know, we know that Bush is like, how dare you come here and even check into our elections whenever you've got it look what you've got as a president and talking about bush going into iraq and he's murdered millions of people and he's a warmonger and war criminal and and uh you know i can't argue that i mean but it was it, the, the most the thing i encourage people to watch it for is because some of the demonstrations 
where the pro-Ukrainian people and the pro-Russian people were right there next to each other, right? Now imagine this is kind of like the liberal left and Trump supporters face to face, okay? And I would say that the pro-Russian people are very much like the pro-Trump people here. But probably like less beer guts and mullets though, right? No, I'm just kidding. They I'm were just rough. Kidding. They were rough looking crowd. <laughs> they were rough kidding. looking crowd. Um, some of them. Nobody I know that voted for Trump looks like that. I'm just. But just they were it. very like when you when they you, when he talked to them when he tried to engage them, they were very much black and white thinking, just like Trump people are. More conservative, more loyal to their leaders. You know what I'm saying? Like that kind of same mentality among the pro Russians, kind of matched up with like the pro Trump people, right? And then you had the pro-Ukrainian people who were like, we just want to understand, we just want fair elections. If we get beat, that's fine, but we want our elections to be fair. We want to live in a democracy. We want to be more westernized, have more freedoms. So it was, it was really kind of a stunning comparison to our politics here. And then uh, at one point, one of the pro-Ukrainian um, kind of uh, leaders of the protest tells the Ukrainians to look at the policemen who are there, who are under the control at that time of a pro-Russian leader, okay? And he says, look at these police. Don't dare think about raising your hand against them because these are your brothers. Look at them. We're all one people. So we have a difference right now of opinion, but we're all Ukrainians. And so they were trying to reach across the aisle to the authorities and to the pro-conservative, you know, pro-Russia people. And so I think there's a lesson in there for liberals here because we're just in these divided camps. Yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying, but I feel like a lot of people on the left here are tired of trying to bridge the gap and trying to uh, sit down and have a conversation and it's just always trying to be the civil one over you know screaming voices we've been dealing with since bush um and i started to see that you know you start to see that during that obama administration is where that you know people talk about oh obama became president we have a bigger racial divide now than ever and i'm like i don't think really that's what came out of that i think we have a bigger party divide mm -hmm. is what we have um because it just came down to you know a lot of those people hated Obama and they even if they weren't racist they knew they could get like shock factor out of like putting pictures of Obama being lynched and stuff out there and it's just like it's like they made themselves hate him for every reason mm -hmm. it's not necessarily that they they hated him because he was black but they were gonna hate that now because right, right, right. it was a part of him right and it just I don't know I think it just turned into such a violent thing that people on the left were just like okay we're done we're done being civil we're done trying to you know play this game where it's like we explain what we want now now we're just gonna we're gonna stoop to your level mm -hmm. and it's it's only gotten worse as it has as people um on both sides are just now in a screaming match right and i mean given this this video this that i'm talking about happened in 2004 and now here we are in 2020 you know in 2019 so i don't know if the kind of dialogue would be possible now but this one woman is there you know at the pro-ukrainian pro and there's a russian a pro-russian protester there and she's trying to explain you know her side of it and he's kind of brushing her off and kind of being like no 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 you know you're wrong you're just you've been told this whatever and uh 
she just has this really disarming way and she just like kind of reaches out and like takes him by the arm she's like we're gonna take you home with you we're gonna give you some food and we're gonna feed you and you'll we'll make you like us and and I get what you're saying that um you know it's really hard to be to have grace when someone's attacking you but I, I mean it's just strange how the uh, you see the history of the left and the right and the th- kind of things that they support. So maybe it's just because this stuff was in my lifetime so I can see it. But, um, you know, I think under Bush, it didn't, It's it wasn't like under Obama, I guess. And I guess that's what confuses me a little bit. But, you know, with Bush, when people were voting Republican, and maybe I only see this in hindsight afterwards, but you were voting for wars. Mm-hmm. you know and you're you're voting for all of that so it's not just like oh we're voting for a president like uh like as in trump's presidency where okay well we're voting on basically policy changes here which was different from bush where it's like no you literally voted for a war mm-hmm. you know people died because of mm-hmm. the way that you voted you know what i mean it's like maybe i can only say that because of hindsight i don't know that when people were voting for bush that they knew how it was going to blow up into a war but they you just see that republicans are far more you know war hungry Mm-hmm. than it seems like Democrats have been. Um, so I feel like maybe that is what started it all over again. Um, you know, obviously they had, back in Vietnam days, you had all the lefts and they hated the Vietnam War and this mm-hmm. and that, and that caused a big divide between people. But I feel like um, there's probably a lot of saltiness from the Bush era. Like, no, it's not just a difference of opinion. You know, difference of people mm-hmm. say all the time, difference of opinion is whether or not you, you like coffee or you like tea, not whether you voted for someone who killed, you know, all those people and started a war mm-hmm. so i feel like um i don't know as people's emotions get more involved and it hits home i think i think america really and the generations that we deal with now got hit home with that because so many people went to afghanistan and i mean still we have troops there and it's like it just affects it's still affecting people mm-hmm. so um, well, propaganda know. has a huge effect on people and the the main reason why politicians use propaganda is because if you can stir someone's emotion you can make them stop thinking you can make them stop using logic if you can just get them pissed off enough and so when obama i think when obama became president and you saw like the you know effigies of him being lynched and all these kind of things i think that the media really took a turn in the sense that it became much more inflammatory everything was blown to left or right like they extremely exacerbated every issue right but i guess i don't know i'm I'm surprised that it came of that way because obama like didn't get on you know camera and say well this is an attack and this is a this is a witch hunt and blah blah he didn't do that Mm -hmm. so i'm surprised that um you know it blew up the way that it did i guess maybe his silence got the media being his voice and saying whatever they wanted. I mean, I don't know. It's just... I think Obama was, was a trickster because I think the reason why he was so quiet is because he was letting the other side get away with whatever they wanted because he was doing things like bombing Syria till he ran out of bombs and shit. Like Obama was doing, he did fast and furious. He screwed up and sent a ton of guns to Mexico supposedly to catch uh, gangs that were using these guns and he lost the control of the guns. So basically he just infiltrated Mexico with a bunch of guns. Like Obama did so much bad stuff, but I think that he got away with it because as long as he was letting the Republicans do their dirty shit and he wasn't making a fuss about it, they weren't making a fuss about his dirty shit and all the shit just got dirtier on both sides. 
And now Trump's in there, and because he's a loudmouth and he's inflammatory, you know, I see people on Twitter, like, crying for the Obama years. And I'm like, Obama was bad, too. Yeah, it's funny, too. We were talking about, I don't know if we touched base on it here last week or if it was on the famous Supreme show about cancel culture or whatever. And, um, you know, it's funny that all these people on the left, especially people my age who were children when Obama was elected, I mean, we were, you know, 11, 12 preteens, you know, we just... They, they worship Obama now because they've never actually done any research on the whole presidency. They just take it as, you know, whatever. But uh, Obama came out and said about um, cancel culture being a bad thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now they're all like, Obama was a war criminal. And I'm like, yeah, it's funny <laughs> that you guys like ignored that for so long. And now he's calling your shit. Right. You and know, now you have out. a reason to criticize, criticize right. him. But Trump just gives us a reason like every day we wake up to criticize him. But yeah, I think... Like what happened with Ukraine when the people with money bought the media and started putting out a lot of stuff on the media to inflame the two sides against each other. Like that's happening here. It's it's almost like they were an incubator for what we're seeing happen in our own country. And I just feel like we need to stop being so inundated with our own opinion and just calm down and like start talking again Start focusing on things we can all agree on. And if somebody needs held accountable for something, that's fine. But we need to stop it with the hypocrisy of saying Trump is totally bad and evil, which he may be. But then look in the other way when shit goes wrong on your side. Like whatever your political affiliations for are for, don't stand by and say it's okay for my team to be corrupt while I'm pointing out your team's corruption. Right. We have to hold all right, these people the thing too, is I just, you know, I tell people all the time, especially during the elections of 2016, when I'm like, yeah, I don't like Trump. I think he's a crook, you know, this and that and the other. And they're like, well, so is Hillary. And I'm like, I know, I agree. And they like, don't know what to say. <laughs> and then I'm like, no, I'm going to vote for Bernie. And they're like, wow, blah, blah, blah. And they, but they don't have anything to bring up on him. Mm-hmm. There's like, there's like nothing to bring up. So he's I'm like, I'm socialist. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's like, that's it. So I don't know. I guess it just. I try to point that out to people all the time. I'm like, no, I really am. I'll, I'll go after both sides. I don't care. The only person I, I think I've found in politics that I did like or do like is Bernie. And um, I don't know. I'd like to say that I would hope he's going to get the presidency. But I don't know. They stopped it one time. So I don't have high hopes. I mean, I'm, I'm still going to vote. but And don't forget about uh, local politicians because as we're seeing right now the balance of your uh party in the senate in the house and also locally in your governor it all matters and i'm not saying vote for any democrat because i don't support either party 100 percent. but you know i think we need to focus on economic issues and health care and um you know you can fight about all the other fringe issues you want but it's the economy stupid you know, it's putting people to work. It's it's people not struggling yeah, I, every I single day. I honestly feel like uh, on those levels, at least, um, yeah, I mean, the higher up you go, the more important the red and blue aspect becomes. But seriously, some of these local elections, it's like you need to just stop seeing colors and, and what what's going to help your city and your town right. and your state. I mean, individually, I'm, I might not like a Republican at all for their views on gun control or abortion but if that's not their focus their focus is like listen you guys need new highways um then i I would vote for them because it's just like you know what i mean it's it's i don't know i hope as time goes on that um politicians get away from this extremist mindset 
and just worry about you know all that money that they're taking use it to actually promote a platform like right. a legit platform not just hot button issues but i don't know and i hope that young people know. coming up will be way more aware of the financial what's happening financially behind the scenes with like the oil like everybody's like oh iraq was about oil okay well we figured that out now like how long ago was it? How long did it take us to figure out that we had an oil man for a president and we went to war in an oil country and we took over a country where the main export is opium and now we have a heroin problem? Like, I just feel like I wish people, like, that's why I wanted to do this thing about Ukraine because I feel like so much of what's going on over there has to do with the natural gas industry. And if you look at a chart of the natural gas development in the United States of America, it was like zero and then in like, the mid-2000s, it just skyrocketed off the charts. Well, is it surprising that if Europe is getting all of its natural gas from Russia, and then we all of a sudden start producing all this, we're cutting into Russia's market. So, of course, they're going to be a little bit not happy about that because they got basically Europe by the balls when it comes to their natural gas needs. So, we're producing now, so that puts us at odds, you know what I'm saying? It all has to do with the geopolitical resource of who's trying to get what and the rich people, what they're trying to get. So follow the money, man. Follow the money. All right. Well, I think that's all we have for today. We ran over a little bit, but uh, we will be back next week. And uh, I don't know. I guess we'll wait and see what comes of it. But uh, this is Juke signing off. And this is Nick saying Das Vidalia.